0: before the show starts, we want to let you know that the Cybersecurity Marketing Society's annual conference, Cyber Marketing Con 2022, will be held this year, November 16th through 18th in Arlington, Virginia. And yes, there will also be a virtual option.
1: You really don't want to miss it. We'll have two days jam-packed with cybersecurity marketing strategies, ideas, metrics, insights. It's going to be the place to be. Visit CybersecurityMarketingSociety.com and click on conference to grab your ticket. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. You have your favorite two hosts and cybersecurity marketers, Maria and Gianna. And we're so excited for today's episode and today's guest. Everyone's going to learn a great deal today. You don't want to miss finishing the episode all the way to the end. It's going to be full of awesome information. We have today with us Carol Myers, who is the founder of Scale It Up, an organization that helps companies with go-to-market strategies. She's a seasoned marketer, of course, marketing leader. She's an advisor. She's a go-to market guru and has been at cyber companies like Rapid7, Duo Security, Appassure, and many, many more. Carol, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Maria and Gianna. Happy to be here. So today we're going to cover a bunch of things. So of course we're going to dig into your knowledge in go-to-market strategies, advising CEOs and founders, but of course we want to cover your amazing career and what it's been like as a woman in cybersecurity and in tech, your struggles and advice for young girls just starting out. So let's jump into go-to-market strategies. It's very critical to get the right kind of advice from an early stage startup perspective for whomever, the founder or the CEO, or maybe the first marketing hire. And to get that kind of advice as early as possible, it is critical. Tell us why it's so critical. What's the damage down the road if you don't get the right kind of advice early on?
2: Yeah, nothing is fatal usually, but it's going to take a lot longer for a startup to achieve revenue goals and then get that next round of funding if they don't really think about their go-to-market and do it in a way where they're looking at fundamentals about who's their ideal customer profile, how do those people buy software. And it always sounds silly in cybersecurity because you're like, oh, it's the CISO, but it's not always the CISO. (laughs) And if you don't get that foundation right, you don't really know what's wrong with your business. You don't know if it's product that's wrong or the go-to-market that's wrong within go-to-market is the marketing or the selling is that the messaging is it the channels we're using so unless you really think it through have a great plan and then have a way to test it and learn really quickly you're going to flail around for months and months and months and then ultimately what will happen is when you need to get your next round you haven't hit your milestones not going to get the valuation you want God forbid you have to do a down round, which is the worst thing in the world. But I think a lot of times people don't think that through. They just kind of start doing stuff without a real plan in place. And especially a plan to test and measure and be able to figure out If things are working, why? And if things aren't working, why? (laughs)
1: That's so true. For a, a robust go to market plan, what are the components if you could list them for us?
2: Yeah. It really starts first and foremost with understanding who you're solving a problem for and all of the things around that. So, what's the problem you're solving? How are you solving it that's different than other people? In what ways is that better? In enough of a way, and this is something I see a lot of people miss, it's not just that someone has to spend money to buy your solution, but they have to invest their personal time to evaluate your solution and think about the problem that you're solving for them. And that's a really big bar. So a lot of times people are like, ROI is obvious. And it's like, well, sure, it might make sense to pay you for your product, but people also have to care enough about the problem you're solving and believe that you can do a good enough job. I think it starts with those fundamentals. Who am I solving the problem for? How big is that problem? How am I doing it fundamentally better than what people are doing today? And then you have to understand what's the buying process for that person? Can they buy it on their own? Do they have to go through 20 other approvals in their organization? And once you understand that, who they are, what the problem is you're solving and how they buy, then you have to build a plan to get in front of them, right? And use the right approach and channels, whether that's, are you going to go through resellers? Is this a great fit for them? Not usually when you're first starting out. I can talk about that in a second. Is it more of an enterprise sale? Is it high volume where you can use a lot of digital marketing? And when you think about all those things, then you have a great hypothesis. You go put that in place, you test it, and you are figuring out all along the way what's working and what isn't and adjusting as you go and learning as much as you possibly can. But I think a lot of people don't start with that set of fundamental questions. And therefore, they're just guessing about who's going to buy and how they're going to best reach
0: those people. Carol, can we ask you a little bit more about what you just said about resellers? Because that's really interesting because a lot of companies are thinking about a channel first approach like a lot of startups think about channel first as an approach, like what are the pros and cons of this? Why did you say what you just said that maybe resellers is not the best first starting spot for an early stage company?
2: Yeah. So from my experience, especially in the US, resellers for the most part want to sell a product that's pretty well defined and early stage. And I'm talking sort of like maybe seed stage, maybe even a once you get to a round, I think you should be able to start thinking about channels. But you have to fundamentally prove that you do solve the problem, that people love your solution, that there are willing buyers, and you have to be able to Do that in a pretty consistent way so that you can go teach the channel those things. But if you don't know them, you can't expect the channel to figure it out for you. They have lots of other things to sell. (laughs) And unless you get lucky and you find someone who cares deeply about what you're doing and they want to build their business around it, and that's a pretty high bar, the channel wants something where you can tell them, here's the positioning, here's the pricing, here's how you sell it, here's who you should be targeting. And if you don't know that yet, you can't just
1: go to the channel and hope they're going to figure it out for you. That makes a lot of sense. Unless you have like a product that costs, I don't know, $30 and the (laughs) sales cycle is five minutes. (laughs) And you've already proven that. Now they might be like, okay, great. Yeah, now I know who I'm going to go sell this to.
2: But yeah, I think a lot of people go, this channel is going to take me in. And you're like they're going to expect some things from you. We Mm -hmm. all know that they want support from us. They want materials from us. So if you don't know those things, you're going to be wasting their time.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Like the first meeting with marketing, it's like, okay, better together story. What are we going to do together? And that involves what do you do? (laughs) And then like, all right, joint solution brief and use cases and testimonials and things that we can enable sales with. And if you don't have it baked out internally, then it's just going to be a wasted relationship.
2: Exactly. And when you're very early, you don't have testimonials yet, right? So you got to go win some customers. They have to prove the ROI and then be willing to come out and tell the story with you.
1: Yeah, for sure. So Carol, we covered the most important components of a go-to-market plan and strategy. What about the KPIs on how to measure that? You said to test and retest and, of course, stay agile and make sure you optimize in real time. But I have seen a lot of leadership, not just CEOs or founders, but even sometimes marketing leadership, get really confused about what are the most important metrics to keep an eye on, or we get overwhelmed with all the possible metrics and we're not focusing on the right ones. What is your advice for us, Carol?
2: (laughs) I think the most important metric, obviously, is that customers buy our product, use our product, and you know renew our products, right? But that it takes you time to get there, especially if you're a startup. And I think our audience is probably a range of people who are that very, very early stage to people who are already out there generating revenue and growing. So your number one goal in marketing is you've got to be a part of revenue. You've got to be driving revenue. The thing that I think is hard is there's a bunch of others. So marketing should be able to articulate here's what we're doing, and this is how it's impacting revenue. I mean, full stop. You got to do that. You can't say, I generated all these MQLs. I don't know what sales is doing. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's a non-starter. The board will look at you and be like, "Mm, I don't know about that. (laughs) But you've got to have a bunch of other metrics that tell you along the way. I look at every single stage of conversion. So if you've got to get people coming to your website, coming to your events, right? So you've got to have some volume. You've got to look at that and make sure they're the right people. Going back to who's your ideal customer profile and do they have the budget and the capacity to buy, right? So am I attracting the right people, not just some kind of traffic? What are the indications of interest? Are they converting on my website, Are they converting through if I have BDRs and looking at every one of those stages? Because while the ultimate goal is revenue, if you just look at, I spent this much money on marketing and I got this much revenue and it's not meeting your bar, you have no idea in between, (laughs) like where's the drop-off, what's happening, what's working, what's not working. So there's all these different, I would call them sort of micro conversions that tell you if you're bringing in, reaching the right people and if you're helping them through their journey. The hard thing I find is that everyone understands sales. I start talking to someone, I put them in the pipeline, I close them, and I can have a conversation about that. And so they're always saying to marketing, well, what converts the best to pipeline? Let's just do more of that. And you're like, yeah, but there was all this other stuff that happened before someone was willing enough to take enough interest in us, had the budget. Had a project and now they're pipeline. All this other stuff happens in terms of educating them about the problem we're solving and why we're a good choice and eliminating the doubts and the fears they have about that because they're not going to do it. Gartner, I thought this was great. And I think it's very true from people I talk to that about five to 10% of the time a buyer spends in their buying journey is with sales. The rest of it they're doing via. Our website, talking to industry analysts, talking to their peers about us, looking at reviews online, right? All this other stuff. And often people don't value those actions because it didn't turn directly into pipeline. And so a big part of what marketing has to do to some degree without making people go crazy (laughs) is help educate them about them, which is like, oh, well, this is why we do that. And then this is how this is ultimately going to turn into revenue. And they have to be able to show that that's going to happen because otherwise everyone's like, could you please get more people to click on contact us? Just put a big contact us button on the website.
0: Make it the only thing on the website.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Make it the only thing because that's what turns into revenue. You're like, yes, but... There's a lot of things that happened before the person was like, yeah, I'm happy to talk to your sales team now.
0: (laughs) So Carol, how do you set expectations with your team, with your leadership about the time that this will take? Because if you're starting from nothing, if you're growing up a little seed stage company's marketing, then there's not really historical data. And you're just going to have to say, hey, we are running this brand awareness stuff because it's going to eventually contribute to SQLs and conversions and contact us forms. But how are you setting the stage for everybody?
2: It's a great question. And it's a big problem that I talk to almost every startup about. Well, for one thing, you really got to dig in and little plug for the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. Talk to your peers who are selling products that are maybe priced similarly, et cetera. What is their full cycle? And then you can talk to your CEO about, let me just help you understand, like, company X, company Y, company Z, here's what their cycle looks like. And then making sure you're going to start to put things in place where you can measure your cycle so you can be monitoring it and talking about it over time. And then I do think you also though have to think about where you recommend that your company invest their money. If you can do brand, I always think, yes, of course, look at all the companies who've done that and it's been great. But let's say you're a little bit more strapped for cash, Well, then the number one thing you have to do is get revenue in the door, which means marketing needs to play a key role in saying like, yes, we want to educate the market and spend money doing that. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go look for those buying signals and by really understanding your ideal customer profile and what motivates people to solve the problem, to say like, I'm willing to invest time and effort and money to solve this cybersecurity problem I have. For a problem that you solve, you try to get those people quick, the low hanging fruit. Like, go get those people, help sales win those deals. And that's gonna give you more money to go do all the other things you're going to need to do if you wanna become a big company that's selling to lots and lots of people, because it's gonna take time for them to learn about you, right? So, some of it is about the ordering of your spend, but I think really trying to set the stage for this is how our buyers buy and this is
1: how they buy other products can help you a lot. <laughs> so the buying signals that you mentioned, is that from a tactic perspective? Because I'm thinking, okay, well, how do I do that? Are you thinking intent data?
2: Yeah, it definitely can be intent data. That can also be expensive. But again, it's not a great cybersecurity example. Necessarily. Well, let me think if I can think of a really great cybersecurity. I'm thinking early back to when I was at a very early stage company. But it was really that getting smart about who is most likely to have a problem that we can solve right now. And that has to do with maybe the kind of business, the size of business, something happening at that business. Like, let's say we kind of really think about this and we say, people who are making a lot of acquisitions are inheriting probably a lot of cybersecurity debt, and we happen to have a solution that makes it really easy to figure out how good their cybersecurity is. Like maybe you're one of the cybersecurity companies like Black Kite or Security Sort Card or some of those others that can help assess from an external point of view another vendor's cybersecurity. And maybe that, I don't know that this is true, I'm making this up, but maybe people who are going through acquisitions are a great target for them because you get an assessment of the companies you're thinking of acquiring. This is probably not. True for these guys. But then you go, okay, as a marketing team, we're going to start putting a way for us to collect data on the kinds of companies that we think would be able to buy and use our solution who are doing a lot of acquisitions. And we're going to help sales do some direct outreach to them. Maybe we're going to do targeted advertising. We're going to do different kinds of ABM campaigns. We're going to help them even with their email outreaches. Maybe we'll even do some cold calling. But it's getting really clear about, okay, if I really think about this, These kind of people are going to be spending money on this right now, and we should do it. It could be an amazing competitive campaign, which says, we know we're so much better than company B, so we're going to go target people who are using that product and have been using it for two years because we know that's when it really starts to not scale well for them. So that's
1: what we're going to go do. And Are we going to be able to find them all? No, but we can do some research and figure out who they are. I like that. That makes me think of as soon as you raise a round of funds, you start getting a lot of LinkedIn emails (laughs) about, oh, do you need this from a marketing perspective? right? They know you just raised money. They know that you might have the budget for it. It might be thinking about ABM. So I'm going to pitch you my ABM tool. I understand now what you mean by buying signals.
2: Yeah, exactly. And actually, I I have advised some companies not in cybersecurity for whom people who just hired a CFO, for example, were a great target. So they were looking for people who just hired a CFO because that meant they were moving to a new
1: stage and they probably needed to tackle the problem that this company solved. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. So all of these amazing ideas and strategies, what about the team? What is that critical first two, three hires that you would advise a CEO or a founder to prioritize to build that winning marketing team? Or at least the bare minimum, if you want to achieve this, this is what you need in your first year. That does vary a little and I'll,
2: I'll tell you why. So if you are, and there are some of these in cybersecurity, if you are targeting, let's say, SMBs with a security product that's pretty easy to implement and not super expensive, and you're pretty sure your primary way of go to market might be digital, then you probably want somebody who's really great at digital marketing and content because you're going to use a very inbound content-driven strategy. So you're going to need that. Now, let's say you're selling something that's a little bit more enterprise-focused, and let's also say there are no go-to-market bones in the key founders. Okay, you probably need a really awesome early-stage product marketer who really understands getting to this ICP messaging positioning, competitive, and is going to be able to work with some outsourced marketing resources to do campaigns and programs to reach buyers, but it's also going to be a great resource to your early sales hires and it's going to give them the tools and the ammunition they need to go do what they do in terms of cold calling and outreach and all of that kind of thing. And so I think it tends to gravitate to one of those two primarily, but it depends on your business a little bit. So it kind of depends on what kind of product you're selling. And then I do think it depends a little bit on the founding team. So if you have one of your founders who's pretty good at product marketing, maybe the CEO came up through a product marketing bones, you might be able to go get more of that demand generation and content person anyway. And you can serve that role as CEO for a little while until you need to hire someone in. So I think those factors play a lot into what your first hire needs to be. That makes sense.
0: And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So, all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at hackervalley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two.
1: How do you advise the CEO or the founder on the right way to measure the success of a marketing team, but also how to not take the wrong kind of advice from the wrong places that would derail the marketing team's strategy or what they're doing essentially is like, oh, I heard somebody say this, this is what we should start doing because that's what they said kind of thing. Okay.
2: Are you thinking like maybe they're like, we should be buying this big ABM Tool, or we should be having a free product just because my CEO at another company told me they're doing this and they're having great success. That kind yeah, of thing.
1: exactly. Yeah. Things like that. And no offense. I know you come from board and investors, yeah, yeah. but a lot of times investors and board members give marketing advice to the founders and the CEOs in good faith sometimes, but sometimes it just doesn't fit. Yes, strategy or they're taking the example from, I don't know, a PLG type company, but you're selling enterprise with a two-year sales cycle, things like that.
2: Honestly, it's true. I see it sometimes, especially venture board members have a certain model that they've seen successful and they would love to just plop that onto every business in their portfolio. As you're right, it doesn't always fit. That's why I think it's so important for those fundamentals. Who are we selling to? How do they buy? What's involved in their business in terms of buying? People probably hate me for this, but I'm a big fan of buyer journey research, even doing it yourself. Just talking, get on the phone with people who have purchased a solution like yours recently And just ask them about that and be able to map that out. Because I think if you can go back to those fundamentals and say to people like, Oh, yeah, no, that's really interesting. But let me show you how our buyers buy. And this is why (laughs) we're doing things this way. And here are the impediments. They don't work in this other fashion. I think if you can always go back to the customer, it really helps. And then really having those great metrics that show what is working and how things are working. And then I think the third thing is, if the marketing person and the marketing leader can make it very clear that their highest metric is driving revenue and that in no way what they're doing is sort of saying like, well, you should give me kudos over here. I can't help that we didn't make our numbers. Then I think that really helps. So that credibility being grounded in the customer and that credibility being grounded in revenue, I think help a marketer tell their story in a better way (laughs) with the right data. And you have to understand, like, we know we're communications pros, right? We also have to remind ourselves that change is hard, that you can communicate something once and people hear it, but then they forget. So (laughs) you have to be willing to not get too frustrated
1: and keep at it. Yes. And then at what point do you stop repeating and you just give up and move on to something else? Well,
2: sometimes you can try something and give it your very best, right? If it isn't going to blow up everything. If you can try something, especially in a small way, like say, oh, I can take a little bit of my budget. Let me try this for one reason. Maybe they're right. Maybe it's worth trying. And so if you really give it your best F and then you can be able to say like it did or it didn't work and do it in a way that makes it very clear you really did try it hard and thought it through and that can help too. They can be like, oh, okay, you're right. That didn't work. Okay, thanks for trying that. <laughs> I do think sometimes giving things a try can also help if you can do it in a way that doesn't totally prevent you from doing
1: all the things you should be doing. Makes sense. And then just ask for forgiveness later. Like,
0: right. oh. <laughs> so VCs, I think this is coming from a place of goodness. VCs are masters of pattern. So like you're saying- It might not be that someone is looking at someone else who's doing something current and applying it, but also that they're just stuck in 2010, because they've seen seven companies come up with the same method of doing something. And it just is their modus operandum going forward. But let's talk about like a new, I don't know if it's new anymore, if we could say that, but still new in cyber, like a newer function for selling. Let's cover PLG for a little bit in the remaining time we have, because PLG is still hot and it's fun. And Carol, what is your opinion on the perfect recipe for a successful PLG strategy?
2: Mm, You guys are going to be like, oh my God, she's like a broken record. It really goes back to who's your user of your product? Who's your buyer of your product? What problem are you solving? Is your product easy to get up and running with? And is the person who's going to use it also the buyer or a heavy influencer of the buying. Because if that's not true, it's really hard to do PLG. And in cybersecurity, it's not to say there's definitely some PLG that's happening. And I think that people are doing well, but it can be hard. And the reason is, and you guys are in cybersecurity, so you know this. A lot of times people in cybersecurity, CISOs, directors of security, these are senior people. They still can't make certain things happen. I've had products where it required putting software on a piece of server. It turns out, whether that's in the cloud, doesn't matter where it is, that the only people who can provision a server is IT. And the cybersecurity team doesn't have the permissions to do that. So they can't really set your product up because PLG is all about, I want to try it and I can try it right now. This introduces, like, I sign up for the product. They tell me I need to download this. Oh, I need to go get access to a server. I have to call IT. Now I forget about it and I don't move on. Now, that's not to say that you still can't offer a free trial and that can become a wonderful lead generation, but it's not quite PLG, (laughs) right? Because PLG is about you can get up and running with my product. You can use it, whether it's a trial or it's a free version, and you get value out of it pretty quickly. And then I can decide if I want to buy. And in this case, it's probably not going to happen. You're going to need sales to get interjected and to help someone. And so I think knowing whether your product fits PLG is really important. If it doesn't, and you still want To get some of the goodies of PLG, I think there's things you can do. You can really still make your product a key showcase. There's a bunch of tools available in the world these days. Reprise is one of them where you can make very custom demos and that's a way for someone to get a feel for your product. It's not exactly PLG, but it's going to help you get more of that inbound motion and give people a chance to see, what can I really do with this product? What's that experience going to be like? So you can do some things where they can do self-guided demos and things like that. But I love PLG. It's such a fantastic motion and the companies that do it well have crazy good valuations, even in this terrible (laughs) stock market, because it's such a great vehicle. It can help you get more profitable and to grow faster, but it just doesn't fit if it doesn't fit your buyer's journey. Like if they can't get up and running with your product on their own, it's not a great fit for you.
1: Yeah, and that's why it's blowing up in like MarTech because most smart tech tool, no credit card required, just get up and running and try it out. That's why it's always gonna be really hard in cybersecurity. Yeah, yeah. if it's a
2: 100% cloud-based cybersecurity solution, it might be a little easier because now I don't necessarily have to get permission from IT, when even if it's an endpoint thing, maybe you can just put it on your own endpoint and not everybody in the company's endpoint, right, to try it out. But yeah, there's barriers to sometimes doing things in a PLG motion if it requires too much setup. But if you can figure out a way to maybe slim down your product, maybe you're not showing all of it, you're only showing certain capabilities, just enough to really get somebody like, hmm, this is pretty cool, that can work too. Like, let's just take a little slice of our product. Maybe I can't show them the whole thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's so true. So for the last few minutes of our awesome episode here, maybe we can cover the last two things that we wanted to actually talk to you about, both advisory boards and of course your career, Carol. We will really leave it up to you. Do you want to chat about advisory boards first and your experience there? And then we can sure. jump right into you. Yeah, room. why not? <laughs> Sounds good. Cool. So yeah, obviously, you're on a lot of advisory boards. That's been a huge part of your career. What is your job within an advisory board? Other than, of course, the marketing knowledge, the go to market, but what is that dynamic? And does it change from different company shapes and sizes?
2: Yeah, I know. I feel like my answer to everything is, it depends. But it really (laughs) does vary company by company. Some of the companies I work with have an advisory board, and it's almost like a shadow board of directors, right? So a board of directors gets buried in a lot of governance and things like that. But I've seen companies and I've been involved in companies that create an advisory board. And sometimes they have multiple advisory boards, right? So they'll have a go-to-market advisory board. They'll have a product advisory board. And they'll have quarterly meetings where they bring their advisors together. They give them an update on what's going on in the company. And they have a particular challenge or strategy they want to talk about. And they present that. And we all try to help them with that particular challenge. And then, of course, checking in on how it's going, what things have they tried, and those kinds of things. So those are great, but that's a lot of work. So there aren't as many that do that. And then with a lot of other people, I'm an advisor among sometimes other advisors. I'm the go-to-market advisor. And there, it's more of a periodic meeting or Touch base, even sometimes by email, pretty regularly. If we're not touching base once a month, that's not good. I like to make sure we're in touch once a month. And there, I'm doing some of that same work we just talked about. Like, here's a challenge I have. How would you tackle this? Sometimes I'm getting in and helping people think through their BDRs. How might they measure them, working with them on how you can do career development for BDRs, all this kind of stuff, or sometimes acting as a sounding board, right? I think we all really want someone who is or has struggled with some of the same things we are and being able to test our ideas against them and see what they think. I think that in itself is hugely valuable. Sometimes you learn something new. Sometimes you just learn you're not crazy and that's valuable in and of itself, (laughs) So it takes all those different forms. And I usually am working with a cross-section of CEO, head of marketing and head of sales, and sometimes head of customer success.
1: Yeah, on the marketing side, we definitely need that. Because sometimes you even need that outside of your immediate leader or team. You just want to hear somebody else tell you, either you're doing it right, or you need to change a few things, or it's a complete bust, you need to stop. Yeah, I think marketing is a very...
2: Hard job. I was VP of sales, and I will always tell you that that's a very hard job. You have the company's revenue. It's such a serious responsibility, and you got to hit that number every quarter or month, depending on how your business is run. But the marketing job is hard in a different way. So having a group of advisors around you and people who can even just
1: be a cheerleader for you can be really helpful. (laughs) Okay, now let's jump into the career track. And I think this is probably going to be amazing advice for a lot of other women and young girls getting into the tech industry and cybersecurity industry. So you've had an amazing track record across many different companies, shapes, sizes, industries. I don't know if there is a secret sauce, right? It's hard work. Obviously, it is hard work and dedication. But what is that secret sauce for this type of success? And definitely tell us about the struggles, because I know there are many. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I think there are a couple of things. And by the way, I haven't always done them. And when I haven't done them, it's not worked out so well for me. I think one is being willing to take risks. So being willing to step up and take the job or to put yourself forward for the job that you want, even though you don't fit every criteria someone is looking for. So a lot of it is about going for it. I mean, it, just really is. And having enough faith in yourself to say, I may not know everything I need to succeed here, but I'm a learning human being. Like I can learn things and I've done it a billion times. I've learned new things. I learned to walk, didn't I? So gosh, I think I can learn, right? So giving yourself that Push to say, go do something. You may stumble a little bit, but you can learn and you're going to be okay. So, that I think has been like the number one thing I would say. And the second thing really is that learning. Always saying to yourself, I'm never done. There's work to do. I can be better. I can learn more because that helps you be adaptable. And I think when you join a company when it's small and you have to get to a company that it's really big, you've got to be willing to change. And you have to be willing to change what you're doing because you'll need to. When you first join a startup, you're doing everything. You are actually sending the emails, you're implementing the HubSpot. But when your company gets big, if you've grown with it and now you have a large team, your job is about vision, setting goals, removing roadblocks, collaborating, and making sure there's alignment with other organizations in your company and really motivating and developing the people. Who are on your team to do great execution, you're not doing any of that stuff anymore. So how you spend your day is dramatically different. So you have to learn to love that. You have to learn to understand when you need to change and to be able to do that. And I think that that is really important. I think those things can set you off to do whatever you want, because if you're willing to take the risk and do it, and you're willing to put in the work to learn, you'll be successful.
1: I mean, it's so inspirational to hear that, to be honest. A lot of us do strive to, of course, end up at companies where the environment is positive enough to have the will or the eagerness to do all of that. And you are right. There is definitely a change in mindset from individual contributor to managing a team and stepping back and doing more vision and strategy and that sort of thing. A lot of us do struggle with that migration from one to the other, especially if you're used to doing early stage startups coming in, even at the director level, you're still doing everything. You're doing the social media posts and the HubSpot, like you said. So what about the struggles, Carol? The
2: struggles, I think, have been when I doubted myself. One of the things I find myself encouraging people to do is to not do that. It's human. We doubt ourselves. But when we doubt ourselves, we don't take that risk. We should have taken. We don't ask for the job we should have asked for. We don't ask for the raise we should have asked for. We just kind of take what we're given and we say, like, oh, this is good enough. And I think you have to question yourself and take a step back when you start feeling that way and say, okay, wait a second. I've got all these great qualities, right? I've learned before, I've done this before, and push yourself through. So I think the times that have been the biggest struggle is when I lose that confidence. And I don't take the risks that I should be taking. I do think that that's like one of the biggest issues that we face. Every mistake I've made, I can kind of take back to me doubting myself and not taking the right action. That is so true. So what is the secret? Self-affirmations in front of the mirror every day? (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of it is exactly what we're talking about, these advisors. Like you should have advisors in your life and people who are going to challenge you when you doubt yourself and being willing to reach out to them and have them talk to you and remind you about all the great things you've achieved in the past. So what in the heck is stopping you from going and doing that again? So I think making sure you're surrounded with some cheerleaders is really helpful.
1: That is true. Okay, well, I'm calling you right after this, Carol.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, and save any nice emails people
0: send you. (laughs) Okay, Carol, if you were not a go-to-market advisor for cybersecurity and other tech companies, what would you be doing?
2: Oh, well, see if I had the confidence and I was going to push myself, I'd go be a travel blogger. (laughs) Oh, wow. I
1: I would (laughs) love to
2: just travel and share the experiences with people and learn about all kinds of new places. If I had more time or if I made more time and pushed myself, I would go do that.
0: What would be your first travel blog location that you'd be blogging from?
2: Oh, what a great question. I desperately right now want to spend some more time. I want to go to Africa and do some safaris and just see a whole new place and a whole new culture for sure. And that is one place that
1: I definitely want to spend more time. That's it. And then your itinerary after that is Morocco, since what you told us earlier before. Part of
2: Africa, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then I do want to chill out at some point in the Maldives. but
0: <laughs> Nice. For us on the regular schedule, it's H2 now. Everybody wants to be chilling in the Maldives right now. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> so Carol, where can people find you if they'd like to reach out about your advisory services or to ask you questions? How can people reach out?
2: Yeah, definitely. I am an avid user of LinkedIn, so find me there, and you should be able to reach me, and I love to hear from people, so it's a great spot. And then, of course, if you're part of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, I'm on the Slack channel.
0: Thank you. Thanks for the plug. We'll put a link to that, of course, too. Anyone who's a cybersecurity marketer, please apply to join the Cybersecurity Marketing Society at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com.
1: Carol, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Lots of learnings I can literally take today and apply as a cybersecurity marketer. As a woman in tech, great career advice. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Maria and Gianna, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun.
0: If you want to be on the Cybersecurity Marketing Society podcast, make sure to send an email to podcasts, with an S, at hackervalley.com. And we'll have you on the show. And
1: catch us next Wednesday on a whole new episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, like, give us five stars, tell your friends, family, and neighbors as well. (laughs) See you next time.